cool. Go for it. Up, everybody, and welcome back to Actually at Capacity, a show about interesting things with interesting people. Today, I have Akiva Malamut on. Akiva just wrote an article about the legalization, why we should legalize all drugs. It's, uh, it's a very fascinating article. It is a bit provo- provocative, uh, which, you know, we like over here. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and Akiva also is a master's student at, uh, at Queen's, so doing a, a lot of the, the book learning. How's it going, Akiva? It's all good. Thanks for having me on, on your pod. No problem. So I I thought this was this is a really hot topic right now. It's being discussed um, in Vancouver over here, especially where we have been looking into and there's been a sort of uh, motion introduced to decriminalize drugs. And I think this has been happening everywhere. Um, so in this article, you specifically say that we should legalize all drugs. Yeah. And so would you want to explain the difference between decriminalization and legalizing and why legalizing is preferable? Right. So there are a couple of major ways that people talk about drug policy reform. Um, and both of them, I think, are good, but one is better. Um, so legalization is better than decriminalization, but decriminalization is still a good thing. And what decriminalization means is that there are no criminal penalties attached to possessing or consuming drugs as a user. Um, what it doesn't do is make the production and sale of drugs legal. Um, and so people who are engaged in activity can still be charged with various kinds of criminal penalties um, if it's you know, understood as some sort of commercial activity, but it decriminalizes like possession of X amount of drugs um, with the assumption that you're a user. And so I think that decriminalization is good because I don't think that anyone should be criminally penalized for using drugs. Um, but I think legalization is better. And the main reason I think legalization is better is because the prohibition of drugs creates all kinds of processes of crime and violence that then feed into the, like, the devastation of communities, particularly minority communities um, and other kinds of disadvantaged groups. And so that is also a negative impact that we should want to reduce in general. And then there's a kind of more general argument, which is that I am a libertarian and an anarchist. And so I think that people should be able to buy and sell drugs if they want to do that. Like a shop, like a... So do you think it would look yeah. similar to like what we have with liquor stores if, if it was to be legal? A lot like that. I mean, or you more know. like pharmacy. Yeah, so I, I mean, I imagine we could probably do it in, in like different, in a few different ways, right? We could have it be sold as part of like the array of drugs you could buy at a pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, I personally wouldn't, I don't have a problem with them being sold really anywhere. Like I don't care where they're sold, but I imagine that some people who want like, I don't know, who, who feel, want drugs to be a little bit more separate from like the eyes of children or from right. eyes might want it to be sold in like special stores the same way that we have for pot here in Canada. So like mm-hmm. if we wanted to do that, that's fine. Um, like I, I'm not too hung up on exactly which stores um, sell them. Although I would prefer, you know, a broader array of licenses than a smaller, than, a, than like a smaller one. But, um, you know, I'm happy to accommodate 
like communities or whatever and I definitely understand like people wanting to not have drugs be like a cool thing for kids or whatever right Um, because I think that you have a right to put whatever you want in your body but it's also definitely true that some drugs are not good for you like Mm -hmm. obviously not good for you and so if we want to like limit those things being right in front of people who are impressionable or whatever like that's probably a reasonable thing to ask for yeah yeah and I think you know what we have now with the cannabis legalization is the stores have to have these special tinted windows so you can't be able to look into the store um but I was always like I found that concerning too because then what like someone could just be getting robbed or getting murdered in there and you wouldn't be able to see (laughs) so Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I could see like certain things um, being sold in the same way that liquor is. But then when you get to the harder stuff, it's very hard to um, to sell to people being like, yes, you should be able to like sell like meth or heroin. Yeah. At a store. Which is what I'm saying. Like if you want to do meth, you, you should be able to do meth and heroin and, you know, um, I mean, fentanyl is like kind of a variant or whatever of those things. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's sort of like debate, like it has medical locations or whatever. I mean, one of the ironies of this also is that there are versions of drugs that are currently illegal that are used in medicine. So like, um, like there's, there are a lot of chemical similarities between stuff that people use for ADD or ADHD, mm-hmm. you know, and cocaine. Um, like there's similar chemical properties between like Ritalin and Adderall and stuff and coke um, and various kinds of opioids um, have some like similar properties um, between like meth and heroin and or maybe it's just heroin and um, what's it called they give people for pain um, sorry, it's escaping morphine. Me now. morphine thank you yeah. yeah but there are a lot of chemical similarities and so a lot of this has less to do with like whether a given thing is you know, more or less dangerous and more to do with that a particular variant of it is deemed like politically unacceptable because it's like for fun or because it's associated with this particular group. So there's a very long history of drugs um, becoming illegal because they're associated with some stigmatized group, particularly racial minorities. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend that people read, uh, there's a great book by Johan Hari called Chasing the Scream which is about the war on drugs. And so he details how um, the way that they made various drugs illegal was by associating them first with Mexicans and then black people and later like with hippies in the 60s. And so there's a whole process of like connecting drugs to certain communities in order to demonize those communities and then also to ban those drugs. Um, Like sometimes it's like leading with the being, with trying to like, um, you know, find reasons to persecute those communities or sometimes not. Um, But I mean, you also see that not just with making drugs illegal, but also with the types of drugs and the penalties associated with them. I don't think it's the same in Canada, but in the US, like the penalties for crack cocaine, which are used, which is used more among black people are higher than for regular powder cocaine. Um, Interesting, I didn't know Yeah, so there's this thing in the States about like severity of drugs and the penalties associated with like, uh, they're called schedules and there's like one two three one is like the highest severest penalty and so i think crack is on that and then like co- powder cocaine is like two or three 
I don't remember exactly because it's changed over time and I haven't like checked the schedule for every different variant of drug recently, but um, for a long time, um, drugs that were used more frequently by minority communities were prosecuted with worse penalties um, than others. And so this often becomes an opportunity to scapegoat. And there's actually an interview with um, like someone on Nixon's uh, like cabinet mm-hmm. staff where he says, he, he says literally very explicitly, and this is easy to find on, online, the reason that we created the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, is so that we could prosecute black people and hippies. Wow. Like he, like out loud, he says this, it's like not hiding at all. Oh my God. Um, so that they could crush the anti-war movement and also like, you know, civil rights dissent and stuff. Um, that's, wow, that's, I mean, yeah, similarly here, you know, we criminalized uh, heroin to associate uh opiates with Chinese immigrants and it yes was, exactly yeah um and so yeah that's definitely there's definitely a political element I think and I think a lot of people can see it too so it almost seems like a lot of the anti-drug PSAs are like gaslighting us all because <laughs> everybody knows that like they don't really mean what they say it's like when we talk about you know uh going to war with another country to spread human rights and like literally everyone knows like you're not actually doing that um and i I think some people don't know but uh yeah yeah a lot of people do (laughs) yeah um and i mean yeah that's true i think there are people that are like genuinely concerned for like their kids um so i shouldn't paint everyone with this broad brush but i do think that you know we know that the impacts of pharmaceutical drugs on people have been enormous as well. And these are legal drugs. And also, I just don't really think that, you know, the underlying issue is the chemical addictiveness of these drugs. The issue is people's mental, the, the state of people's mental well-being. Um, because if you Very look... Much so, yeah. Yeah, like if you look here in Vancouver, we have a huge problem and it's like by and large also a mental health problem and a housing problem. Um, and so I, I, I find that like by trying to emphasize the chemical addictiveness of these drugs, we're distracting from the real issues and also hiding from how decriminal- or the criminalization of these drugs makes them more dangerous as well. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, I understand people being concerned about, like, putting bad stuff in your bodies, but um, I think we're sort of very hypocritical about it because um, the potential for um, bad things to occur from um, things that are already legal, like alcohol, are, are, um, is often much, much higher. Um, yeah. Where it's like people already do that, um, like the amount of incidents from like drunk driving and whatever is much higher than even from people on serious drugs like meth and heroin. Um, And the potential for you to just like not understand what the hell you're doing and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously that's true if we're comparing like alcohol and pot. Um, And so there's a lot of just like whatever is socially normalized is the thing that we're scared of. 
um, rather than recognizing that like all consumption of all substances has costs because these substances are obviously fun, but they're not good for us. Like they're bad for us. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not, they're like literally poisoned in our body and we're trying to expunge it. And that's like the whole process of like, of, of getting drunk or becoming high or whatever. Um, but a lot of it has to do just with whatever we feel comfortable with people doing more so than right. other things. And we know this because drugs, many of these drugs used to be legal, right? So in the twenties and the tens and the twenties, um, I mean, people also use it, used to use it for medicine and stuff in ways that were not scientifically accurate. But the point being that like the normalcy of what's, of what's considered like harmful and, or like too much for society to bear changes a lot depending on the 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 normalcy of use or of it being legitimate for some people to do that um mm-hmm. which is not to say that like you have like where you should all like celebrate doing heroin <laughs> but the normalcy of it being something that is legitimate for like grown adult legal people to do um shifts a lot over time depending on like what our norms are about social acceptance and those kinds mm-hmm. of things um, and it also makes a big deal, especially if we want people to get help or we want people to feel comfortable seeking help to um, not be like, oh, I'm, I'm like a bad person for having done drugs, but okay. I'm like a person who made, a, who made a decision that turned out not to be helpful for me. Um, and to, just to go back to the thing you said about like um, the, ignoring the other problems, So I think that's extremely true. One of the things that people really don't recognize is that chemical dependency, your body becomes habituated to it, but the degree to which, the extent to which you are willing to stay on it is not just about whether your body is used to it. It's about whether you feel the need for that feeling that the drug gives you, but it's about the emotional satisfaction that it gives you. I mean, it's the same reason that people become alcoholics or anything else or compulsive gamblers. It's about the feeling. And so a lot drugs tend to be ways of not dealing with mental health issues um and so by stigmatizing drugs what we're doing is we're distracting from the fact that we really don't care a lot about mental health issues in society and we don't pay attention to them um, and we shame people for talking about them or um we you know we have a lot of like kind of i mean especially this gets into like interesting gender things also because there's all this stuff about like the way that masculinity is constructed and you kind of have to like man up and not talk about your feelings right. those kinds of things. Um, but, you know, this applies across genders as well. Um, but the main point is that the extent of addiction is heavily dependent on how much you like the rest of your life and mm-hmm. is much less about whether the physical relationship between the chemicals and your body is strong. So, yeah. And there's a lot of evidence that's not just, you know, from me, some guy saying it, but from, you know, uh, neuro and psychopharmacological researchers. So there's a, um, there's a, like a neuropharmacology professor at Columbia, I want to say, named Carl Hart, uh, who has done a ton of research on this kind of thing um, and has shown that there's a vast discrepancy in terms of ability, like the amount of addiction and the ability to have a have a drug habit or whether you do or don't and kicking stuff and whatever um between people who have kind of their life together and people who don't yeah Um, yeah yeah he's a really cool guy um because he he, so he has a great memoir um which i don't remember the name of but people should go out and check 
go and check out, um, which is all about growing up in like, a, he's also black. So uh, he grew up in like, you know, a impoverished minority context and like worked his way up to become this like science professor at Columbia. So that's pretty cool. Um, and what's meaningful about that besides the fact that it's a moving story is by talking about how much in his community drugs were a way of dealing with economic and social deprivation. So a lot of this isn't just about the mental health stuff, but also about the communities that we ignore, um, you know, poor communities, communities of color, those kinds of things. Yeah, well, I, I read, there's a really excellent book that I recommend to everyone, but especially people in Vancouver. It was called uh, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Gabor Mate. Um, and he worked with addicts on the Vancouver's downtown east side which is like the heroin capital of Canada um and there was a metaphor he used in it that I thought was so like it just really stuck with me and he was talking about how um if you like let's say you're really dehydrated or something and you drink water it's gonna feel different than if you've been like hydrating all day and you have a sip of water and like similarly, if you're really like emotionally deprived, um, doing taking a substance is going to feel better and more addictive to you than to someone who is like feeling less deprived or like less alone. Um, and he was like just talking about a patient he had where it was like, yeah, it's like receiving a warm hug, you know it's really tragic that like we're in such a state where people do feel this way but I think it, it yeah it's largely a product of trauma and despair and so for those reasons I've you know definitely I definitely think criminalizing it is like kind of sadistic yeah I mean the 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 joke I always like to make is drugs ruin your life and so that's why we're going to lock you up in prison and ruin your life uh, <laughs> yeah I mean yeah. that's another thing it's like if you if you have a lighter sentence as well right like if you um or like let's say like you go to prison for something like trivial like cannabis uh you're gonna become like harder and like more like prison's not gonna like de-radicalize you or whatever it's gonna introduce you to more avenues of crime yeah I'm and I mean, that's one of the, the other sort of major, I mean, this gets into all kinds of things about like the problem with prisons in society, which is another area, another thing in society that I'm not a huge fan of. Right. Um, yeah. Which is, I mean, I don't know if I'm like full prison abolitionist because I'm sort of debating about whether there are certain people who are just going to be consistent public harms, but like yeah. I'm definitely like make the number of people who are in prison incredibly small. Right. Um, yeah, so it seems uh, so, like drug offenses so, make sense. Yeah, so, and, and, it, and there's, yeah, there's a lot of evidence that prison creates crime by exposing you to other criminals, right. and especially criminals, who, people who have done like bad shit and not just like things that are largely harmful to you, which mm -hmm. is doing drugs. Um, so there, especially if we're concerned about like the growth of crime in society, about recidivism, people going, coming in and out of the system, those are like important reasons to, to, I think not just decriminalize, but legalize drugs because 
people who are maybe in a deprived community for whom dr selling drugs is like the only economic option for them because of the other issues that they've had, then end up in jail and then they end up in a whole cycle of uh, criminality or violence or, or those kinds of things. And it also feeds the growth within, not just within prisons, but within you know, minority and poor communities of gangs and gang violence, because the way that those gangs are funded is through selling drugs. Right. Um, and so the fewer avenues of fewer economic resources that can be fed to those forms of behavior, I think is better for those communities. Um, now, obviously that means that those communities are cut off from certain sorts of revenue, but that's all the more reasons for us to be investing in those communities right. and not for being like, you know, well, let them have this like really destructive lifeline of money going into organizations that perpetuate violence. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times like these, these cartels or gangs also have connections with like, you know, CD, I don't want to sound conspiratorial or anything, but with some CD imperialistic forces. Um, yeah. It depends on the gang. Like, so if we're talking about like in, I don't know, like inner city Chicago or something, then no. But no, yeah, I'm like thinking Mexican, like. But if we're talking about, yeah, like Mexican drug cartels who are like, um, you know, making cocaine in Colombia and that kind of thing, then yes. Yeah. Um, for sure. So it's really tied in. I, and I, I want to ask about it. There's another point that you, uh, so so your main argument uh, that we have we've, we've been kind of talking more about like the harm reduction element which I think is really important and I think that's been um, sort of my approach to the issue um, but you write that like your fundamental point lies in respect for bodily autonomy so this means that like even if legalizing drugs didn't help with harm reduction or reducing organized crime you would still support it am I correct yeah that's right so okay. I think there's a real inconsistency in, you know, supposed liberal democratic societies about how much we really respect people as autonomous agents. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the extent to which we reduce people's decision-making ability represents a form of fundament fundamental disrespect to them as like be self-aware, reflective, you know, beings in the world or whatever, not to sound too fancy and philosophical, but something like that, um, who are capable of thinking about their choices. Um, and we're just very inconsistent about it, depending on whether something strikes us as like too weird. So, you know, we let people take all kinds of crazy jobs. We let people work on oil rigs and like do all kinds of stuff. But we're like, no, you can't do heroin. And that just seems very morally arbitrary to me and sort of fundamentally right. disrespectful of people's basic agency. And it's all the more so because we then often connect that ability to have agency to groups that we discriminate against like minority communities or whatever. And so I think it also reifies the sense that certain communities are less than fully human or less than fully rational, those kinds of things, um, less than fully capable of kind of, you know, making decisions about for their own lives um right yeah i think i mean i i have a similar sort of sentiment in that i am definitely reluctant to say you know interfere with you know people's personal choices but i i do so, like kind of understand some underlying like a little bit of uh 
a little bit of healthy paternalism, so to speak. Um, because I, like there, there is obviously the concern about the spikes and overdoses, right? So like what I'm wondering is, I guess this is a hypothetical, um, is there a role that the government could have in, in regulating drugs? Like, would it be similar to what we have for alcohol? Are there sort of restrictions that could be involved that are still kind of paternalistic? Like for instance, we yeah. don't let, we don't let kids buy alcohol. Um, so we are restricting their bodily autonomy in that respect. Sure. I mean, to be clear, I think that this kind of full bodily autonomy argument only applies to what you know legal adults and obviously okay, there's yeah. a whole debate about like how do you decide when someone sh is an adult and whatever but insofar as like we pick an age and like that's where we're going at some point people should be masters of their own destiny or mistresses or whatever gender you're <laughs> um you know at some point she people we should we have this notion that people are um able people are self-governing. And so insofar as that's like a meaningful moral commitment that we recognize, then that's something that we should take seriously. Um, but like, yeah, we don't have to sell heroin to, to kids. <laughs> Fine. Um, I envision as as, like, like the next regular... libertarian debate, you know, how they had that yeah. argument about the driver's license. Yeah, and, I, mean, uh... I can see, I'm sure there will be some like hardcore libertarians who are gonna be like, you're such a statist cuck. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. I... Yeah. It's called ephebophilia, guys. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I definitely think... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I There's also, you know, this argument that... Because I feel like there's both, like, a utilitarian perspective and, like, a more um, deontological one, so to speak. Whereas like in, in one respect, you know, it's um, it you're saying, OK, well, it actually is better. Like the, maybe the, the government doesn't have the capacity to regulate our well-being. Right. Yeah. I feel like that's very popular among, um, say, like the high stream of, of libertarians. Um, yeah. Like they don't have enough information to, say, fix overdose problems in communities. Um, and on the other hand, there's this, there's the approach that's saying, well, even if you do have the capacity, uh, it's not on you to fix me. Uh, I am my own person kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think you can make this case, like, I'm, I mean, if we want to get into, like, deep philosophy territory, I'm a moral pluralist. So I think there are a number of values that all kind of have competing relevance. So I'm not like a pure deontologist utilitarian. But I do think that among those values, respect for persons is really, really high. Um, and so that's like a value that we should rank, you know, at the top of the values that we consider when we're talking about policy. Um, because I think that if we take the idea of just existing as a person in the world with your own consciousness and experience seriously, then we should recognize that that's like a very unique, valuable thing that we should try and um, like respect and cultivate, because I think like that's kind of what life is about. So I mentioned at the end of the essay, um, there's a really good, if very spicy book, um, and, you know, spicy in like the internet sense, um, by Jacob Solom, uh, who's an editor at Reason called Saying Yes in Defense of Drug Use. And what Jacob argues is that 
drug use is a human right. And the reason that it's a human right is because our experience of life is determined by our brains and our and our and the way that our brain chemicals are are interacting. And so by changing our chemicals, we change our experiences. And so that changes what life is to us, what it means to us, what it means to live our lives in like a really kind of fundamental way. Um, and so if you take the idea that like the the that life that what it means to like really live your life is to be able to explore all the pieces of what that means seriously then actually legalizing drugs isn't just like a well it's fun to do heroin but it's actually like a profound thing about what life is supposed to be about um maybe that's too fanciful but i find it very convincing yeah Um, i think it's philosophically pleasing to say the least to like you know it's like a uh, I, one thing, and, and I think that, you know, some of the concerns I have are also similar concerns that I have for, like, the legality of gun ownership, which, like, both guns and drugs, like, I'm, I definitely lean more in favor of, of having them be legal. Um, but I guess, like, I, I think of an issue, like, such as, you know, let's say it's easy, let's say if it's easy, like, we're in Canada, so it's not like this but like let's say i could just go out and buy a gun whatever like a handgun um if i'm say suicidal it might be really bad for me to own a gun right um and so then it makes me wonder like well maybe like you should like i don't know i'm very i go back and forth on this because i'm like you know uh i think about c4ss like arm the mentally ill article i'm in broad agreement with that but but then there's also you know like i don't know if i want like let's say like there's someone close to me who's like suicidal i don't know if i'd want them to have access to a gun and i think i'd feel kind of similarly about them having access to a potentially lethal drug if they have access to weed it's like less concerning even alcohol but like with something like uh heroin or or meth like you could die on the first use right like it's easy i think it's easier to could it's unlikely but you could yeah like but i think it's like easier to i don't know i think i could be totally wrong maybe alcohol is is the same um i think it depends on like the amounts of each and also like there's a whole problem because street drugs are not pure and whatever and also this is another reason why decriminalization and and legalization actually frankly is important is because um, the main reason why there's a lot of overdoses is because street drugs are either one of two things, either they're impure and they're cut with other stuff to be cheaper or they're extremely pure and of extremely high doses so that the dealer makes addicts really fast and has repeat customers. And so people don't know what they're consuming. And so it's much more likely that people are going to suffer harm um, than in a situation where they know what what it is they're really buying. Um, But that's just like an additional point. Sorry if I'm like on a tangent there. No, no, I think it's 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 something interesting to talk about. And I was also like thinking, you know, what would liability look like? I mean, this is my law student brain, but you know, I, I also think that very few people would enter the business of selling it if it were legalized anyway, because like who wants to be liable for selling like something that could kill someone? I um, mean, 
that you could say that about why why does anyone sell cigarettes right or yeah that's true that's true some, i feel like some people will like sell anything so yeah yeah and i mean there have been i'm sure people have like sued these companies as well but yeah, yeah sure. i don't know i i think you know i maybe this is my or, or like my non-anarchist self speaking but i I think like my priority with this legalization debate is like preventing overdoses. Uh, even sure. though I do think that uh, bodily autonomy is is very important as well. Um, do you know of like any sort of has any has anywhere implemented a model that you would like or similar that you would like to see in Canada? Yeah. So as far as I know, I I don't. I don't think I remember any country that's legalized all drugs. The, the, the country that has had, that isn't the closest to what I'd like um, is Portugal, which has decriminalized all drugs. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a great policy report um, by, and this is like a nice fusion of different ideologies by Glenn Greenwald, but written for Cato mm -hmm. um, about the Portugal experience. Um, and about how after decriminalization, the amount of overdoses like shot down and drug use in general, like actual use itself went down a lot. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, so that's like an, an, a unique finding as well. So if people like look up Glenn, Glenn Greenwald's, um, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but Glenn Greenwald, Portugal, Cato Institute. Okay. Um, that report, that's, the, that's like the, the, the thing that's closest to the kind of thing I would want because it at least decriminalizes everything. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any societies, I don't think there's any countries that have legalized everything. Um, there are places, there's been a lot of decriminalization basically. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing that has been really been legalized in some places is, um, the, is um, cannabis and then I think like psychedelics in some places like I right yeah um like in some U.S. states and 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 I think in like a couple of Latin American countries also um I think yeah. like Uruguay I think has like legalized psychedelics or something um but those are things I mean we could have a whole other conversation about psychedelics but those aren't usually the drugs that people are super worried about necessarily um yeah those are the ones I'm the most worried about like I, I don't know. I just said I'm most worried about overdoses and psychedelics are not overdoses. Yeah, it's very hard to like die from a psychedelic. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you so, can definitely do a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. But just to go back to like the harm reduction thing, it's, mm -hmm. I definitely think if we want to reduce overdoses, then um, like, so decriminalization is good, legalization is better. Um, because so in, in a decriminalization model, we might have, um, we might combine that lack of criminal penalties with administering doses through like medical facilities, which is, mm -hmm. and you know, there's like the whole sign of safe needle injection sites and all that stuff. Um, because often people get like other diseases from these needles or they like transfer things from each other. And that also leads to like other diseases, like the spread right. of HIV and AIDS and HPV and things like that. Um, so, um, the, so definitely like 
in a decriminalization model if that's combined with like administering um, medical doses of, of like the pure thing that's not laced with anything else and that is not an excessive amount or is like, is like not more than you're expecting to take in, in a single dose um, through like public health facilities, you know, so in the Canadian system, it would be like some kind of branch of Health Canada. Um, right. You know, I don't know exactly what it would look like in other countries, but it would be something like that. Um, we could have that, you know, um, my worry in that situation, if we're just talking about harm reduction is that I don't know that people who have a drug problem will necessarily be satisfied with whatever they might manage to get from like public health authorities. And so they might still street, seek street drugs. And so we might still have problems with overdoses, at least for some percentage of people. Um, but it definitely seems like the record of uh, decriminalization combined with administering stuff through like medical type environments um, has been better for reducing overdoses than not. So that's like a positive direction that we could take for sure. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, that would be my general picture of things. Um, I do think it's important to take the like like the people with mental health issues, people with suicidality seriously. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's a reason to make drugs illegal. I think that's a reason to care a lot about your friends. Right. Um, yeah. Like I think ultimately, um, and maybe this just goes back to a sense to my my like moral commitment thing about respect. Like if you really respect people, then you respect them to be allowed to make really bad choices for them themselves. <laughs> um, which is why I think it like, so, you know, and this applies not just to drugs, but to guns. So um, the bulk of gun deaths are not from like school shootings and stuff. That's kind of statistically small. It's from people right. committing suicide. Yeah. Um, and so that's bad. That's a tragedy. I'm not a fan of suicide, but that's a reason to give people reasons not to do that. That's not a reason to make things illegal um, and to punish people for doing it um, or to punish other people for selling it um, if they're providing something that other people want in a peaceful way. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, um, like when it comes to like, you know, like obviously I don't think anyone should be criminalized for that. I, I in terms of selling I have worried about like predatory sellers or like taking advantage of people's emotional uh, right. vulnerability. I think that, you know, a lot of liquor stores, um, for instance, do market themselves irresponsibly. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, so that that's kind of a, a concern. But I mean, I don't know, I, I'm going to say a dirty word uh, for the libertarians, but that you can always also regulate the way that they uh, are allowed yeah. to advertise, for instance. I mean, I'm always willing, like, I, I'm not super dogmatic about these kinds of things. And, like, I care a lot more about helping people than I do about, like, whether my anarchist utopia is reached or whatever. <laughs> uh, right? So... Um, so so like if we had legal drugs, but they were all in like, I don't know, plain packaging and like closed doorfronts and whatever, and like you couldn't advertise on TV or like whatever kind of things people want to do, like I would be okay with that if they were legal. Like those are sacrifices I'm willing to make. It wouldn't be like my, you know, utopia or whatever. <laughs> um, 
but it's but that's fine um you know like i it's the most important thing in this conversation is not like you know like some some technical business regulations it's about helping people like real people with struggles um you know i mean that's another thing that bugs me in general i mentioned this before is um like we don't treat people with drug problems like they're just restart from there yeah sorry guys we had a technical difficulty but yeah so i think we just we demonize people who take drugs as like i don't know somehow like like losers or like somehow weak-willed or um like social outcasts there's a lot of like just assignment of deviancy to people as opposed to like we're all human we all have problems some of us make things make mistakes um and that's the most important thing that I think people should think about rather than like, you know, should we be allowed to advertise it on TV? Like, if you don't want that to happen, it's like, it's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, no, I think it yeah. is a very urgent issue right now. Um, particularly uh, because of the pandemic, there's been a spike in overdoses there has been you know the borders are closed and so that has also affected the purity of the drugs that are coming in here which has in turn you know made them a lot more potent um and that is definitely a problem and so i do think that like a lot of a significant chunk of the problem does come from illegality um what do you think is a another sort of or what do you what would you say is a a sort of obstacle that you think to getting people uh on board with this or obstacles to legalizing um so i mean i guess there's different people have different things that they're more or less comfortable with and you know i think decriminalization is probably an easier sell than legalizing which is why it's had a little bit more traction um, in places. So, you know, Oregon just decriminalized everything. Um, and obviously Portugal did, like I mentioned before. But, you know, I think, um, I think in either case, we have to have people, like I mentioned before, to not stigmatize people who make certain kinds of choices as like bad people or like social outcasts. Mm-hmm. um that doesn't mean we have to celebrate their choices but i don't think that we should stigmatize them um, yeah and i think also just a general um i mean maybe this is just me moralizing again but i think we just need to respect people's autonomy more um mm-hmm. as like a real commitment and not something that we kind of you know are inconsistent about when something isn't isn't something that we think is so great for them or something we like in society or whatever um so that's a serious thing Mm -hmm. so there's like there's an autonomy component to it and there's also like a seeing people who do drugs as real people um right and not as social outcasts and i think also to really have a good sense of what the major you know even if you're not convinced by my autonomy stuff Mm-hmm. the enormous social costs of having drugs be illegal uh, in terms of crime and violence and people overdosing and 
um, people not having, not being able to seek help when they need it and not addressing, and as a, and as something that serves as a distraction from other major social problems like poverty and housing and mental health assistance and all kinds of other things in society. So, I, I mean, this is something I say in the article, which is that we need to treat drug issues as part of a larger set of public policy concerns yeah. about whether people's, whether communities are doing well, whether people are thriving, whether people are succeeding. Um, and as like a problem in public health in general about whether people have the information to make good choices about whether they're incentivized to make good choices, those kinds of things. Yeah, so. I, I, I think, I think that's fairly accurate. Like I, I think, you know, one of the things that people are concerned about, or, you know, one of the arguments against the autonomy thing is I think some people kind of deny like that were that atomized enough for it to, for like taking drugs to be an autonomous act. Um, so for instance, like if someone uh, is an addict, um, their actions impact the people around them in like very profound ways. Um, uh, but again, then you could also say, well, same with alcohol. Um, so- And addictions differ. I mean, there are high functioning addicts, there are low functioning addicts. Right. I mean, there's sort of like, you know, the joke about all the people on Wall Street who do all that coke and then still make all that money. Right. right? So <laughs> yeah. like these things are all the very like vary a lot. Um, and to go back to something I mentioned before, has a lot to do with people's other parts of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, because there are people who drink alcohol and abuse it and people who drink alcohol and don't. Um, yeah. And that, that is like a, lo- a wide spectrum. Um, and not just in terms of it's using it for themselves, but like, you know, the and other people. So, you know, the classic kind of I don't know, stories about like fathers who drink a lot and then end up doing, engaging in domestic violence or something. And it ends up being some kind of larger product of the fact that like that person has all kinds of issues that they're not dealing with. Yeah. Um, which is not to excuse domestic violence, but obviously just like an, as an analytical product, like the violence doesn't just happen. It comes from right. some kind of problem that that person has that isn't addressed. Um, so like, it's, it's just really important to understand that drugs can make people do bad things, but not in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely we want to limit the harms of drugs and recognize that we're all interconnected and all that stuff, then we need to actually take that interconnectedness seriously and invest yeah. in other parts of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so, so I, I take that and I'm like, yes, like this is, um, you know, a perfect argument for the harm reduction element. Um, but with the bodily autonomy thing, um, as the grounding principle, I'm getting, yeah. an, I'm becoming, I'm gonna get an annoying philosopher mode for a second. Yeah, well, so, yeah. it's like kind of my thing. So, it's, it's so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so with the philosophy grad student. Um, so I, yeah, so the, the thing is, is like, I am not sure, like the, ex- we're talking about, okay, well, these people are um, like people who 
suffer from addiction oftentimes like in harm reductive language we say you know it's a disease right it's like it's not a moral failing um but then at the same time it almost contradicts the language of autonomy because yeah. what it sounds like to me is that these are not free choices yeah um, i mean i don't think addiction is a disease i think addiction is a psychological problem which is not the same thing as disease like having right. certain impulses that are very powerful is not the same thing that you have to try and master like that doesn't mean that those impulses aren't really serious and significant but it's not the same thing as cancer which you have like no choice in whatsoever right um, right okay so we have to kind of i think like i appreciate the diseased language in the sense that it's trying to trying to emphasize the fact that people have real struggles. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think it's unhelpful because it doesn't wreck, it also, I think, makes us think about um, choices to do drugs as not the product of autonomy or rationality or whatever, right. when I do think they are. And I also think, I mean, this gets into a larger thing, which is that I think we have a very stereotypical view of what being reasonable or rational is. Mm -hmm. Like we think I, there's a talk by Julia Gallif um, who's involved with a lot of like rationality kind of psychology groups and stuff like that. Um, and she's part of like the New York Skeptic Society. She has a podcast called Rationally Speaking. That's pretty good. Anyway, she has a talk called uh, The Straw Vulcan. Um, and her point in that talk is that our idea of rationality is a straw man. And that straw man is Mr. Spock from... Um, <laughs> Star Trek we think of someone without any emotions without any feelings without any like impulses everything's like in control um, and human beings are not like that we are driven by feelings and motivations and conflicting impulses and so if no, like ultimately if we don't recognize that then like no one is actually rational because we all have different kinds of things that push us in different directions that are conflicting um, and so you know our decision-making is always some kind of interactive process between our feelings and our reason. Um, and it's not, it's not this kind of dichotomous thing. Right. Where, you know, I mean, you see this in philosophy, like people really divide it up. Like David Hume is like, we're all feelings and conflict, <laughs> yeah. all reason. Either of these, and these seem very reason, like very reasonable <laughs> things to say, um, because like, it seems obvious to me just from my own experience and like, you know, just my experience of life with other people that like we are able to analyze and think about our decisions, but also the only reason that we do anything is because we have feelings and we care about stuff. Yeah. And so it's always an interactive process. So I actually think it's really damaging to think about rationality as like, well, you like have challenges controlling your impulses. Yeah, that's what being human is about, is having impulses and having like a process of negotiating them and figuring out what is like the good life for you or whatever um oh that's well said yeah so basically the problem is not drugs it's philosophers <laughs> yeah i <laughs> uh, know yeah. i'm just yeah. kidding uh but yeah, yeah i mean i think you know these are all good points. or maybe star trek which is heresy for me to say since it's my favorite show but i actually haven't seen it so oh, I, you're missing out it's i haven't stuff. seen star trek star wars any of that mm, so all the fans are mad at you now i know i'm sorry everybody yeah. i i just haven't had time but maybe i'll get to it sometime um 
<laughs> I uh yeah, I've been watching The Sopranos instead. So I'm learning mm-hmm. a little bit about organized crime. Yeah, that. and about motivations. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, I mean, I think you know, in in sum or to wrap it up, I definitely think this is an urgent issue and that we should be um we should be discussing it and like you know i it for a few years i stopped talking about like decrim and legalization because it seemed like such a trivial thing to me like so just trivially true you know like i was like you know if you don't think that like if you think criminalizing this is still helping like where have you been you know and so i just had like stopped talking about it um, but as you know, this crisis has worsened in Vancouver, I think it's just becoming more important to really push this line that like we need to primarily be concerned with um, reducing harm and not with moralizing people's uh, decisions or making judgments about them. With, we don't even know like their life. We don't know what they've been through. Um, and, and so I have come back to trying to advocate for this because I think it is important and articles like the one you've written are important to to keep putting out there so uh thank you very much for coming on thank you I appreciate it um I wouldn't have written the article if I didn't think it was important (laughs) so where can everyone find you um so in general you can find me on Twitter, on social media, which is at Akiva underscore Malamet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have like a backlog of articles at uh, libertarianism.org, at Liberal Currents, at Catalyst, where I'm now a contributing writer. Um, and that's where my drug article is. Um, and so those are all good places to find my stuff and to find me. And if you want to talk about any of the stuff that I've said today and tell me that I'm real dumb, then you know have at me in the dms on twitter i guess don't send him too much hate mail um i yeah well okay well don't send don't send hate mail i'll come after you guys so be nice (laughs) um and yeah uh we'll see you next time thanks everyone for listening us.